Would you pray with me? Holy God, Word made flesh, let us come to this Word open to being surprised. Silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, cast out our casual detachment, confound our expectations, clear the cobwebs from our ears, penetrate the corners of our hearts with this word. We know that you can, we pray that you will, and we wait with great anticipation. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you. No prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. 
Well, this past Wednesday was a significant day in the life of our nation. As the 46th President of the United States was sworn into office on Inauguration Day. This is often a rather ambivalent day in the life of our country, as it is usually awash in conflicting and contrasting emotions. Those who voted for the incoming president are often filled with excitement and hope about positive changes that might take place over the next four years, while those who voted otherwise are filled often with anger and fear and dread. This has never been more true than in these last couple of elections in our country. And right now, just about everyone on both sides of the aisle are trying to make expectations about what kind of a president Joe Biden is going to be and whether his presidency is going to benefit all of us or just some of us. Of course, just as Joe Biden did on Wednesday, every incoming president delivers an inaugural address where they give us a glimpse into some of the, the agendas they are going to pursue and the priorities that they have for their next four years. And in the midst of a raging pandemic and extreme polarization, division, and distrust, Biden's focus was on unifying our country against all the forces that work to tear us apart. A theme that, not surprisingly, has been a rather frequent one over the years in inaugural addresses, some of which had some pretty memorable lines that are still rather relevant to us today. Like, in the middle of the Great Depression, uh, with the rise of fascism and communism taking place in Europe, President Roosevelt insisted in, to a, an anxious nation his firm belief that, that we have nothing to fear but, but fear itself. In the middle of the, the Cold War, President Kennedy challenged us all to ask not what our country can do for us, but what we can do for our country. And near the end of the Civil War, President Lincoln concluded his second inaugural address to a nation that had literally been splintered in two, saying, and I quote, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. End quote. That almost sounded like a sermon. <laughs> Of course, 41 days later, he would be assassinated. 
Who knew that preaching could be such risky business? Well, in our text this morning, Jesus also gives his own inaugural address in his hometown of Nazareth as he proclaims what his ministry was going to be all about and what his father had commissioned him to do. And his speech, which actually was a sermon, caused such a commotion and was so controversial that his own people took him to the edge of town in order to throw him off the edge of a cliff. And actually, four years ago, when a group of pilgrims from our church were in Israel, some of whom are here this morning, we actually went to the site on the edge of Nazareth. You can see it there where tradition claims that this assassination attempt took place. There I'm standing over this cliff looking over the Jezreel Valley outside Nazareth. And there's actually also an interesting sign that is there uh, that calls this the Mount of Precipice, otherwise known as the Leaping Mountain, for they claim this is where ancient tradition says that Jesus leapt off of the mountain while fleeing his pursuers. Somehow, Luke never seemed to hear about that part of the story. So how did this happen? Well, if you recall from last week, after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as it descended upon him like a dove, and then it led him out into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by Satan to take a detour from the path that his father had set for him and use his power in a self-serving way that was not obedient to his father's will. But Jesus was able to resist these temptations by relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit and trusting in his Father's word. And therefore, Jesus was now ready to begin his public ministry. And so, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus then headed back up north toward the Sea of Galilee, and he would stop in synagogues along the way on the Sabbath, and he was wowing people with his incredible teaching and apparently performing some incredible deeds of power as word of him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. And by the time Jesus made his way back to Nazareth, his newfound fame had preceded him. And so I'm sure that there was quite an incredible crowd there that day for worship, much like there is here this morning, as everyone was buzzing about the hometown boy who had made a big name for himself and then returned back home. And when it came time in the service of worship for the reading of Scripture, Jesus stood up and they brought him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus opened to the place he wanted, and then he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back, and sat down in order to begin teaching. And you could have heard a pin drop as everyone there waited with bated breath to hear what he was going to say next. Then Jesus declared, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, most of what Jesus read came from the 61st chapter of Isaiah which was written to the the exiles who had returned from Babylon, envisioning something like the year of Jubilee, which, according to Leviticus, uh, was supposed to happen every 50 years, though scholars are unsure that it ever actually did. But during the year of Jubilee, among other things, all debts were to be canceled and all slaves set free, when liberty would be proclaimed throughout the land to everyone. And after the exile, this this year of jubilee came to be seen as a symbol, as, as a promise of the ultimate restoration and redemption of God's people and the defeat of their enemies. And here's Jesus, the hometown boy, declaring that this great day that they had all been waiting for for so long was finally being fulfilled. And he was the one that was going to make it happen. And everyone was amazed. Actually, some of the people probably were simply shocked, startled, stunned that that this familiar son of Joseph could possibly be the Messiah, the Savior, the one who came to set them free. And surely they were probably looking for a little demonstration just to prove it. But I suspect that others were probably thinking that this was all going to turn out really well for them. After all, They were his own people. I mean, they're the ones who had babysat him when he was a child, who played on little league teams with him, who had taught him in Sunday school and showed him how to follow the word of God. I mean, surely they would be first in line to receive the messianic blessings. And if Jesus had done mighty deeds in other towns, I mean, just imagine what he was going to do for them. I mean, surely any doctor would would start by taking care of his own, wouldn't he? Oh, this was going to turn out even better than they had ever dreamed it would. I suspect that there was a part of Jesus that was tempted to give them what they wanted, to please these people 
whom he loved so dearly. But he knew that their expectations for him had blinded them to who he really was, not the son of Joseph, but the son of God. And those expectations would prevent him from from doing what his father had sent him to do. And though it must have wrenched his heart to disappoint these people he loved, Jesus made it clear that he would not be the kind of Savior that, that they were looking for. In fact, they might even miss out on it all if, if they did not change their understanding and expectations of God's salvation which was less about liberty for them from their enemies than about freedom for all from captivity to sin. Less about getting first dibs on God's blessings as His favored nation than about being healed from their blindness that they might recognize and enter into the ultimate jubilee that God was inaugurating through the life and ministry of His Son for all people and all nations. And just to drive home the point, Jesus reminded them about the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, two of the greatest prophets in Israel's history whose ministry took place during some of the lowest points in their spiritual history. And through these prophets, God's blessing and mercy came not to their own people, but to their enemies, to Gentiles, and not just any Gentiles, but a poor widow and a leper, about as low in social standing and importance as you could possibly get in their culture. The implication being that that Israel was not the sole recipient of God's favor as they had thought. In fact, people they thought were the most unworthy imaginable might actually receive God's blessing and mercy ahead of them or even in place of them. Well, as you can imagine, that did not go over very well. And in their murderous outrage, they dragged Jesus to the edge of town in order to put an end to this blasphemy. But the text tells us that Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way. As far as we know, Jesus may never have set foot in Nazareth again. After all, the promises of God had been fulfilled in their hearing that day. And they refused to receive it. The truth is, we too have great expectations for Jesus. 
And we tend to think we know him pretty well. But because of our familiarity with Jesus, we tend to shape him into our own image so that our Jesus usually looks just like us, thinks just like us, even votes just like us. Like Superman, our Jesus fights for truth, justice, and the American way and wants to clobber all of our enemies. Our Jesus supports our social goals, our financial dreams, our political agendas, even our military ventures so that our nation can remain on top and continue in our most cherished status as the most favored of God. And our Jesus is surely outraged with all the people who voted wrongly in the last election and would probably be fine if we just tossed them all over the edge of a cliff. That's our Jesus. The one who fulfills our expectations. And yet every time we try to make Jesus follow our agenda, to force him to fulfill our expectations and hopes, to be a savior in our image. Jesus just keeps passing right through the midst of us and continuing on his way, leaving us and our expectations behind. For Jesus refuses to be the mascot for our nation or our political views, or our theological positions, or our personal agendas. Instead, he just keeps carrying out his Father's mission, reminding us that he came to be the Savior of all people, including those we think are our enemies, and that we, too, are actually held captive by our greatest enemy, the power of sin, and that we too are in desperate need of being healed and forgiven from our self-righteousness and our arrogance and our tribalism and our hatred and our outrage and our blindness. For it is the only way We will ever be able to enter this great jubilee that Jesus is inviting us to join because he can do nothing for those who do not recognize their own spiritual poverty and need. And those of us who think we know Jesus the best are often the most blind of all and at the greatest risk of being left behind. But for those who know that they are poor in spirit, who recognize in humility their great need of God's mercy. Jesus came to bring good news, for he came not to condemn you, but to save you 
to set you free, to, to release you from captivity to all the chains that bind you, whether they be the chains of sin or the, the chains of guilt or the chains of regret or the chains of resentment or the chains of shame or, or the chains of fear. In fact, Jesus He came to offer you the perfect love that that casts out all fear so that you don't even need to fear fear anymore. And he came to challenge you to ask not how you might collect for yourself more of the blessings of God, but to ask how you might become a blessing by serving others in Jesus' name, for in that you will be blessed. And he came to invite you to let go of your expectations for him and instead to join him in his mission of proclaiming liberty throughout the land for everyone. With malice toward none and with charity for all, working Together, to bind up the nation's wounds and the world's wounds by seeking the unity that can be found only in the Savior who has come to invite all of us to join the Jubilee. For in Him, All of the promises of God have been fulfilled and he is offering them to you today. So do not delay in receiving them. For none of us knows what tomorrow might bring. And Jesus doesn't want anyone to get left out of the party. Amen.